Welcome to Sketch Magazine Podcast, hosted by Bill Nichols, Senior Editor of Sketch Magazine, John Wilson, Editor of Sketch Daily over at ComicRelated.com, and myself, Robert W. Hickey, Publisher of Sketch Magazine and Co-Founder of Blue Line. Come back after the music and find out what we have to offer in this episode. Welcome everyone back to the Sketch Magazine podcast. I'm your old buddy John and I am once again pleased to be with my colleagues, friends, lifelong buddies, Bill Nichols and Bob Hickey. Tonight we've got a couple of things to talk about. The first being is we've got a RSS feed that we might want to talk about one of these days. Yes, we do. It's... um. You can get it on the webpage at the sketchmagazine.net slash podcast.htm or go to sketchmagazine.net page, click on the podcast link, and subscribe right there as the RSS feed. And the podcasts are free. Download them, enjoy them, and please share them. Let's let other artists and creators out there know what we're trying to share with you. So, yes. And uh, should we... Should we jump into our subject, or should we maybe get our listener mail out of the way first? Because we love our listeners, and we love our mail. So Let's do the which, listener's mail. Let's do the listener mail first. Uh, you want to hit this off, Bill, or shall I sure. do mine first? Okay, you oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, on the comic-related forum, our post on there, Ingrid Hardy uh, was talking about our last podcast and this is another great one apart from the utterly and devastatingly uh, depressing point of views of the outlook of self-publishing and then she has a little huh. smiley face uh, it's still inspiring and motivating motivating to suck it up and just produce i completely agree with the opinions of on what people post as they are self-promoting there are many people i don't follow much lately because some things i really rather not know about while there are other people i follow with great interest because of what they do post and some personal things I do find interesting, books, events, food, but I guess it is a whole science in itself. Um, then that follows with um, Tony Hochran, our buddy from the forum. Uh, he says, what company doesn't have to tirelessly be promoted in the beginning? It takes money and time and work and more work. Publishing books is rough, and I hate to hear Bob's bleak outlook on paper books. I just pu- I just purchased Scott McCloud's three books on what comics are and how electronic media may end the human element in storytelling, a cyberpunk's daydream. I just hate the way electronic media de- devalues art. But it doesn't. If anything, it gives us more abilities. You know, nobody hates it more than me. I've been reading comics since I was five or six on the farm imagine with this twang I, I you know i grew up with paper and i'll i'll die reading paper no doubt but the next generation as i saw with luke with music that child has not bought a cd since he was a young kid it's been all digital downloads and he's 18 my nine-year-old is sitting on the computer or on the laptop and he's watching Cartoon Network, any show he wants, when he wants to. 
He will do the same with comics. He will read them. Right now he's reading paper. That's what Dad brings home. But he will read more and more on the tablets, on the Apple tablets, on these new computer tablets that are all coming our way. And, and on the flip side, of, um, I don't mean to be bleak about it, but also you have to think, thank goodness we have this coming. Because if we did not have this jet digital revolution or whatever you want to call it coming, we are going to continue to become a smaller and smaller and smaller niche market. And we need more readers. We need more people picking up this, you know, our, our what we're creating here and, and build a larger fan base so we can, as creators, afford to do it. And the only way we can afford to make these is for people to buy them, whether it's digitally or in print or both, hopefully. That's what we need. Yeah, and I have to question that it's uh, necessarily destroying art in any way. I actually think, if anything, it might be opening art up to other people. Uh, You know, for the longest time, the only way that you could get into comics was you had to be a specifically skilled, uh, you know, pencil artist. Right. Or inker or colorist or what have you. you. You know, you had you had to be extremely skilled at those particular endeavors to get into comics. And how did you get skilled when you didn't have any way to produce this material and show it off? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so not only that, you know, you're practicing by yourself, so you have no feedback. Unless you just happen to be lucky enough to be around people who will give you feedback. And uh, you really have no way to uh, judge your abilities against anyone else. Right. Well, now you not only have that with the social medias, but a lot of design, a lot of design programs allow people who aren't necessarily renderers, uh, aren't necessarily skilled at a particular field, to create work. Uh, through their skill at being a computer technician. So it's it's kind of opening the world of art up to people who never thought that they could do it before. Because I've seen people who get scared to death if you hand them a pencil and ask them to draw something. Right. But you give them a mouse and a computer screen, they'll go to town. Right. I think that viewing it as a, you know, a bad thing may be a little narrow-minded was was i really that bleak on that podcast well you know <laughs> well, you know I mean, we've been around this for a long time you scared right. a few people i think i'm sorry no i think the you know if you have your heart set on being in comics really and i think that's part of where that's coming from uh-huh because uh, you know tony's one of those people that's working hard to break in and, and get in and he's doing sketch cards and things if that's your dream then Anything that's negative is going to weigh a little heavier, but I don't know. You know, I, I think we're putting a realistic, you know, look at it because my response in the next post was, "You've been that you had been in the comic publishing spectrum from a retailer to, to a paper printer with Blue Line mm-hmm. and comics with um, Night Press and Sky Comics and a magazine publisher with Sketch and, and a creator, and that you have perspectives that I don't have access to anymore because you're right there. Your 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 perspectives are current and you see things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but and then I say the, that the good news is that you didn't say that comics were dying out, just that the delivery systems may offer, you know, may alter. That you know things are going to change, right. things evolve and change. Um, but you know, comics are going to be around. That's that was what you were saying. Right. Well, if we look at all medias, everything's changing. Um, movie galleries, blockbusters, all going out of business. Why? You can download them. Right. Yeah, and, pretty much. And they're going out quick. I know around you guys, but up here in Florence, movie galleries are all gone, and blockbusters are following them. But you can download them from so many different sources. Okay? We need to take advantage of that person who's going to go download a movie to also be able to go download a comic. So, I was, I was probably bleak on, yeah, print is going out, and at some time it will phase out. I don't think it will ever totally phase out until we quit making paper, I guess. But at least we have this opportunity with digital to still enjoy this medium. And we don't have to create animations. We don't have to create moving comics. I mean, I enjoy sitting here on the, on my laptop, or actually I'm sitting on my monitor, and, and reading comics here. You know, um, or on the, on, the, on the iPad, sitting there reading comics on the iPad. That's fine. Does it feel as good? No. Being my age, I like the paper. I like the trades. And I've got shelves and shelves full of trades. i got boxes and boxes full of comics. But if there's a book out there, I want to read it, and the only way I can grab it is, is digitally, that's what I'm going to do. At least we have the way of publishing digitally in front of us. And we don't have somebody coming in and saying, okay, well, you you only have to go through here. What I'm excited about is that there's several possibilities of distribution coming up. So, um, you know, right now you got Wowio and you've got Comixology. Um, we're working on something. It's fun, but you know, don't don't let me scare anybody away from from creating comics. I own Blue Line. I make paper for you guys to draw on. The last thing I want to do is scare anybody away. I, I'm hoping with this podcast and with Sketch Magazine, we can teach you how to not only get in this and enjoy it, but be successful with it as far as you want to go with it. If, if it's a hobby or if you want to do it as your life, that's what I'm hoping to be able to do with this. So. Well, I think Bill hit it on the head. You weren't, you weren't bleak. Uh-huh. You were a realist. You gave a realistic opinion as someone who's been in it for, you know, 20 plus years. Ooh. <laughs> hey, I, I had to tell a kid that I've been married for 20 years now, and they looked at me like that was the most alien concept in the world. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, and I think uh, paper will ever completely go away is really kind of a miss a misnomer if anything completely goes away it'll be floppies right you know trade i think there will always be trades because there will always be people like us who prefer paper right right prefer to hold it in our hand and not have to plug it into a wall or whatever um you know that said though um with all the new digital apps and everything People should see all this stuff as an avenue. Oh, yes. Every avenue that comics creates for itself does nothing but strengthen the medium. Right. I mean, when was the last time you ever seriously heard someone say that comics were just a throwaway child's medium anymore? 
you don't hear it very much anymore. Yeah. It's really made that shift now to not only no longer being a child's medium, but there's so much comic-based material out there, games, movies, whatever, that uh, it's really started to look like a viable entertainment medium to a lot of people. Right. No, I agree with you. Previously owning a store, you'd be surprised some of the people would walk in and say, comics, $3, oh my goodness. Well, but, yeah, there is that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, most people, not a problem. They're, it's serious. They're taking it serious. And, and I think with the new avenues we got coming up with this, with the digital markets, you know, we can't, we can't turn a blind eye to it because our market will go away if we do that. We have to figure out how to use them and run with it. So, you know, comics are going to be around. That, that's a wonderful thing about this medium, the, the, the ability of um, – Drawing pictures and adding words and telling a story, the the ability to draw something that would cost billions of dollars to do in a movie, you know, you could never do. Um, go to worlds that you could never create. So you know, comics are cool. Comics are going to be here. Don't mean to scare anybody away. Um, so, okay, um, Ingrid, I wasn't, I didn't catch exactly where she was going about in her email. Does she have a question for us? I think it's where we were talking about um, separating uh, sort of your public persona with oh, okay. that more private persona too. That was sort of toward the end there. So because um, we we had talked about possibly even creating a, a second profile just for you know your friends or family that kind of thing. But right, you know, some people just promote everything that they do. And, you know, every eBay item that they have up, that kind of thing. So Right. Well, I think um, in a future broadcast, we're going to talk about branding. That's going, to, that's going to include selling ourselves. We can really get more involved in that. I'm, I'm running an experiment with Clay's Way, so at that point, we can sort of see where it's going. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, John, you may post uh, over the past week at CR, comicrelated.com. Indeed, I did. Um, uh, update the. I, I do, but I have a letter myself. I oh, want to please, hit on okay. First. Yeah. Um, for people who are uh, familiar with comic related at all, uh, you've many times heard us mention Lisa Moore, an extremely talented colorist uh, who's a good friend of comic related, and now uh, is apparently a fan of the Sketch Podcast. Ah, uh, we love because, you, Lisa. Yes, we love Lisa to death, and. Uh, wish her all the best in her work and she uh really liked our podcast on portfolios and she wanted to pick our brains as to uh some questions about creating a coloring portfolio mm -hmm. uh now before we get into that i want to tell everyone you can go check out lisa's work at uville h-u-e-v-i-l-l-e you as in the color, uville.com. So go check out her work there. She's extremely talented. She's coloring, among other things, Carrie Kelly's Dinah Girl oh, right cool. now. So, yeah, and she's doing a great job. But anyway, uh, she wanted to pick our brains about doing a coloring portfolio, and it's a very long email, so let me paraphrase uh, 
what she's said here. She is doing one that includes one pinup and four to five pages of sequential. Uh, that was actually asked for by the person she's doing it for. Um, and I said, that's probably not a bad idea to include anyway. But uh, what her concern was is that she colors in a very specific style now. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned about being more eclectic. Right. So uh, she was concerned as to whether uh, to stick with that one style that she's comfortable with or to be a little more broad in what she's showing Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, to kind of show her range. But the only snafu there is it may be a thing that if she's showing old work, it may be something that she couldn't readily recreate because she's, you know, right. doing things a different way now and she's used to that. Right. Or uh, that in some other way would be difficult for her if someone really glommed on to that particular idea. Right. Um, as a past publisher and as a creator, I coloring is tedious takes a lot of time and i appreciate anybody can do it especially lisa i've, I've been online and watched her color it. it's amazing yeah. the only thing i have to say is lisa talk more i love hearing <laughs> yeah. what you're doing share with us when you're doing those i, I mean i the like the music thing. but come on um i truthfully at this point at least in my career i would only show something that i feel comfortable to produce on a daily basis if I wasn't comfortable in producing a colored piece that was just way out of my range or something I really didn't care to do because the effects or whatever, you know, I wouldn't try to go sell that because it's not what you want to do. And at the end of the day, you, you're going to be working on stuff that you're like, oh, man, I really don't like coloring this way or whatever, you know. And, and I, I listened to that podcast where we talked about drawing superheroes and goth and all this other stuff, you know? And I got thinking myself, and I hadn't heard Lisa's emails that, you know, really what you want to pitch is what, at the end of the day, what you want to do all the time. So, you know, I would say, Lisa, if you're comfortable doing several different styles, take one piece, do it up three or four different styles. Um, there was an inking book that Dark Horse put out a ways back that had, like, some Steve Rude samples in it, and they had, like, four or five different inkers work on it. That was amazing, looking at the different inkers and their techniques, what they filled in, what they crosshatched with. So showing that you can do different things as long as you're comfortable in doing them on a regular basis because that those might be the samples they pick, not something that you feel, you know, that you're doing right now. So I would say as long as you feel comfortable with it, crank it out, do some different samples. If you don't, only show what you want to do. Well, I can, I'll can. i read to you my response to her, and you can tell me whether uh, you think... Slap you it was, Yeah, if you think it was correct, or if I completely shot her uh, the wrong directions here. But I told her, ultimately, you want to show your best, but also keep it something you can recreate. Yes. If you sell someone on your work and you can't, or don't do that style anymore, chances are you've just lost a job. Then I said, now, in your case, I think... It falls in the more in the range of lights and darks. Maybe one set during a sunny day in a park, 
and one darker and more atmospheric. Differences in subject and how you handle them will be your real calling card. Um, then I also said uh, she had asked me if I thought she should credit uh, the people who did the artwork, um, you know, that she's coloring. Sure. And I, I told her it's not a hard and fast rule, but I think it's just respectful to credit the artist if you know who they are uh, and that you can do that on the uncolored copy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't distract from your coloring. Right. Because she and she had written back that she didn't even think of necessarily putting the uncolored copy in there. Oh, yes. But but I said, yeah, that's really important that you put the uncolored copy as well as your colored copy so they can judge what you did. Right. To it. Because so. you can look at one scene and... You can say, why did you go daytime, not nighttime? What told you that? Right. Is it in the script? Is it part of the story? So, yeah, it really offers an editor or somebody a chance to ask you questions, which is always good. That means they're interested. Right. Um, no, I think you led her totally the right way. Do what you're comfortable with because, you know, you're looking to do this on a daily basis. So anytime you're out there selling yourself, do what you're most comfortable with. Okay. Bill? I agree. I mean, it because you don't want something that you love to become drudgery. Yes. Because then you're going to hate it. Mm-hmm. And really that's a, something that you have to really balance. Because like you said, if you are comfortable with it and it's something that you look forward to every day mm-hmm. or getting to do what you love, then you know that's amazing. But if, it, if it's something that you dread getting up and coloring or inking or you know, whatever you're going to do, you know, that's sort of self-defeating. Yes. And it will make your life uh, very miserable, and it shouldn't be that way. No. Uh-uh. I agree with you. So, Lisa, put in your portfolio what you enjoy doing and show your best stuff, which we know you will. And I love your stuff, by the way. Work for me. Okay. Ditto, yeah. <laughs> Come work for Skystorm. That's right. Um, over on Sketch, the Sketch uh, forum, no, not the forum, mm-hmm. the Sketch blog, rather, mm-hmm. on Comic Related. Uh, this week so far, I have found an inking tutorial by a young indie artist who does a comic called Vaudeville. He spends a little too much time taking us around his studio, <laughs> but uh, the little bit he does show is pretty good. And um, I hope he's going to continue to get more into it. But I did really like uh, his take. And um, I'm also all for supporting any artist any chance we get. Oh, yes. So so uh, his name is, which uh, I almost forgot to say, is Nathan Wirtz. And does a comic called Vaudeville, which uh, will be coming out in its second installment i believe pretty soon um also a fairly uh a fairly well-known uh indie creator jacob shabbat who does the mighty Skullboy army Mm -hmm. um more of a series of ash cans i believe than anything else uh there's a brief look on him and his book on there uh i also stumbled across a bbc documentary from 
several years ago on Superman. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, Superman, there's a big Superman kick right now with Superman being on Walkabout. Uh, he's coming to Cincinnati yeah, next issue. And, uh, and actually, on the uh, related recap, Chuck uh, was wondering why he didn't stop by Comics to Games on his way through. <laughs> but uh, he is... Uh, so there's a big Superman thing right now. And a really cool thing about this documentary is it's one of the only times I've actually seen Siegel and Schuster sitting together talking about Superman. Really? Oh, yeah, cool. they're they're both uh they're both much older at this. I think uh it was sometime in the eighties when this was done. Okay. But uh yeah, they're in a room together, uh essentially just discussing the creation, popularity, and enduring appeal of Superman. It's a five, well, on YouTube anyway, it's a five-part uh, video or uh -huh. a five-part uh, little thing because of the way YouTube cuts things up. And I have all five parts on the uh, on the blog there, so check that out. Uh, there's a lot of other people in it. You, uh, I see Christopher Reeves. Yeah, you see Chris Reeves. You have uh, Trina Robbins oh, yeah. in there. Uh, and, uh, Will Eisner's in there. Awesome. Uh, they, they talked to a little bit of everyone. Okay. Then, uh, I also stumbled across a video of Judd Winnick. Uh, Judd is taking over, uh, a couple of books, uh, in the very near future, which, uh, the titles have just jumped out of my head, but I do know he's taking over a couple of books soon. I believe one of them is power girl, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, I stumbled across this video where he discusses how he went from a uh, unsuccessful uh, newspaper cartoonist to a uh, now fairly successful comic book writer. Prior to that, um, I and kind of on the uh, heels of our portfolio discussion, I found someone who put up a cartooning portfolio oh. um i've forgotten the gentleman's name but uh it's a fairly interesting and in-depth cartooning portfolio that he goes through so uh check that out and uh lastly i don't know who this young woman is but she's brilliant <laughs> it's this very young college-age girl yes i said girl mm -hmm. and she tells other people how to meet comic creators, wow. how they should act when they're around a comic creator. She also has some other videos uh, on YouTube where she discusses uh, different aspects of comics. So uh, it's, it's fairly unusual to, uh, you know, not only find a woman discussing comics intelligently, right. but a young woman. So uh, I, I, I thought that'd be interesting to include. It is. I, uh, Watched just a few minutes of it. Thing is, she presents her well herself very well. Yes, extremely well. Yes, That's why does. I really liked it. I mean, she's very, for someone who is apparently just doing this out of her college dorm room. Yeah. She is incredibly professional. Yes. At what she does. Um. So I was really impressed with that. Yeah. And I think something else that I didn't mention last time. Uh, below that, and I think that's the last one that I hadn't mentioned prior to our uh, last podcast was uh, 
the group iFanboy created this little video on writing comics and you don't see near enough comics writing things done on YouTube or anywhere else. So I really wanted to include that when I came across it. Awesome. All right. And I think that's everything. Um, Speaking of writing comics, I've got some software that I'm currently learning and reviewing from Wright Brothers. We'll give them a little plug. And uh, as I learn and play with these, I will be posting reviews and how-tos online for these software. So there's some really cool software out there that help write comics and help writers. Hopefully we can help that along. I'll have some time here in the near future to really crank on those reviews. But um, sounds great. A lot of interesting stuff going on. Yep, a lot of cool stuff. And um, actually, you're mentioning your software, Uh I guess, sort of leads us into uh, a small discussion of art supplies. Art supplies, yes. Or, you know, what to use to create a comic. Um, Now, I I had someone ask me the other day, they came across this thing uh, called a slick writer that they actually found in an archiving store. Really? And they were they were asking me if I've ever heard of it and uh, what I thought about it for using for inking. They say it's a uh, it's one of those uh, you know permanent acid free sort of things. Right. Um. And uh, I had to be honest and say I'd never heard of it. And uh, wasn't quite sure what it would do on a page. But I was wondering if either of you has ever heard of it or uh, knew if it was any good. I just looked them up. Slick Writers. It's a brand. A brand of markers. They have different yeah. colors out. I have not. Um, have not heard. It was the new one on me, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. Pens are right on glass. You got to be careful on some of these. Um, I was in discussion at the Blue Nile office this morning on some uh, whiteout pens with Jackie Hernandez from Retail Cafe, and we're talking about some whiteout pens that really work and some of them that don't. So yeah, you got to be careful. Um, experiment with it and just make sure that it's archival. Yeah. Anything that's comfortable with you, if you feel good using it and it is archival, yeah, use it. I have, you know, and actually I'm gonna. Email this over to the Blue Line offices and have them research. Slick yeah, they writer. said they got it at a one of those stores that specializes in uh, you know scrapbook. Yep, I see it listed underneath pens yeah. and scrapbook markers. Yeah. Right. So. And they look they're small. Uh huh. They're a small pen, very nice looking. Look a lot like a sharpie, as far as the cap. Right. Um, I haven't seen one open yet, so. I no, uh, no, I can't say I know them. Bill, have you seen them? I haven't even seen mention of it. So, did you see the pen, John? Um, no, I was just asked about it by uh, by someone on Facebook, a former student, the other day. Um, it says right here. It says uh, American Craft Slick Writers, perfect for writing on slick surfaces such as vellums, photos, CDs, and more. Huh. Yeah, I think the okay. um, biggest thing on using these kind of markers, you got to be careful, is bleeding. Right. Especially when you're using it on a poor surface like a paper. It's not always the paper's fault, guys. We seem yeah. to get blamed a lot about it, but it's not always our fault. 
Sometimes it's the pin. It is the pin. Yes. Just experiment with it. See what you know how it works best. Yeah, I was gonna go see if I could find one somewhere because there's a there's a place called Archivers in one of our malls here, and every now and then I've wandered in there and looked for different pins and mm-hmm. stuff. Well, I'll um I'll order up I'll some of these black one. ones myself next time. Yeah. Order some. We place a uh, supply order and uh, I'll play around with them. Let everybody know what I find well, out. You, you mentioned Sharpie a minute ago. Um, now I was thinking, you know, Sharpie has got all these different kinds now. Right. They've got these thin liners. They've got. Uh, I think they've got like four or five different sizes now. Yes. Uh, you know, the thing that I was always told is never, ever, ever use a Sharpie for inking. But uh, is that still true? Do you think? The regular Sharpies still, I would say, not are archival. I have some Sharpies right. that I did 15, 20 years ago, and they're definitely fading. Um, now, the paint pen Sharpies, and that's what Jackie and I was talking about, the difference between a a uh, paint Sharpie and whiteout mm-hmm. and a poster paint Sharpie. Yeah. The only difference oh. is the word poster. The oh, poster God, yeah. is, yeah, is much better. The poster right. paint is a much better pen, and they come in different sizes. Both do. Right. Um, the the paint sharpie is really made for glass, hard, non-porous surface. Mm. Um, so they spread, they fade when you try to use them on a pore surface, even if it's over an ink surface. Um, so, but then the poster is made more for the paper, the pore surface. So, yeah, I mean they're more archival, much more. You know, you just gotta make sure. Right. Regular Sharpie? Nah. Not when you got Microns out there and you've got all the different pens that, that's available out there right now. Um, Even those little skinny Sharpies that they've got out now, you know, the Sharpie quote-unquote pen. Just make sure that's archival ink in it. Yeah. You know? I, I'm wanting to say they are. I think yeah. I have some of those, and I'm wanting to say that, they are, but I'm not sure. Right. Now, you know, Prismacolor, I think you wrote a review on Prismacolor. Yeah. they got some really nice pens out there. Biggest thing with pins for me, and I don't know about you, Bill, but is the durability of the tips. Yeah. How soon does the tips fold over? Um, microns don't take a very good beating. They're cheap right. little pins. They do a good job where they last, but there's a reason they're cheap little pins. Um, you can step up into the Copics. Um, they're a much nicer pin. Um, my mind's drawing blanks. You would think I do this all the time. I would have yeah. names of everything here in front of me. Right. But um, I really like the car, the, the Copic pens that they've got out. Well, you had got, uh, I've gotten a set from you a few years ago uh, from Letra Set, mm-hmm. and those, those were pretty good. I mean, okay. they, yeah, they held up. I actually, I still use some. So do you, right? Great. Yeah. yeah, they're still. Well, I mean, some of the bigger points are, of course, not used as much as the smallers, but right. But um, yeah, they're still holding up. Anybody remember the old Colonor pens, the Rapidographs? Uh, I still, still have some. They're all dried up, but I still have them. I have the Sonic Cleaner, the little vibrating cleaner that you put the tips right. in the the canisters in and vibrate mm-hmm. it. I got it's in storage right now, but yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I've got a couple sets. I. Can't remember the last time I inked them up. Just the little disposable things are just too 
too simple. Um, yeah. Be careful with albums. A lot of the album pins are really good. Just make sure, right. again, they're archivable. Um, Where are you on Faber-Castile? Love them. My biggest problem is they don't have many sizes. Right. But the dirt, yeah, they, they do the S and M rather than points. Yeah, S, M, B, and, right, and right. brush. Oh, yeah, brush. Yeah, but, the brush. Um, yeah, Faber-Castile is wonderful. Uh, an artist introduced those to me. I went out and we picked them up. And, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough. I have four or five sets of those right now. Right. Um, there's one called Millennium that's really well. Okay. I got a set of those. The Copics, what I was looking for was the Copic Multiliner SPs. Now, those pens are totally rebuildable. Mm-hmm. They have, you can replace the tips. The, can, the, the canister is, is metal. You can replace the tips. You can buy new tips, very affordable. And the inks are actually ink cartridges. So you just buy new cartridges. Um, so it cuts your pen cost down below, say, buying a Micron or something. You've got a nice. nice, dirty pen to use. Um, there again, I have several sets of those. Uh, use them all the time. Where? Um, what do you think of the, uh, and I can't think of any names off the top of my head, but the kind of imported pens, the Japanese or... Secura? Chinese pen. yeah, Secura. Uh, Secura, Secura. Pens are, there's really good Secura pens. Tell you, I just stumbled across here, it's gel, anybody using gel pens? I haven't had I much use luck. them to write with. No. Yeah. I don't draw with them, but I write with them all the time. There's some artists out there using. They don't dry quick enough for me because it is truly paint. Yeah. You know. So, um, I stumbled across a pen called a Zig Writer. It's got a brush tip and a fine tip on the ends. Nice. Okay, Zig is the one that makes the Millennium pens that I really like too. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've heard of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Securas. That's your Microns. Right, right. Um, they're great. Yeah, I was looking through my my desk drawer here to see if I could find a oh. a different pen. Um, I cheated. I went on bluelinepro.com. <laughs> nice. I yeah. still use croak quills and brushes. What? Those old yeah. school antique old school. things. How do you do that? Tell well, us. If, you look, pen, if you look right? at my gallery, you can see some of them. What kind what? of tip do you use? One o twos. Yep. Do you? Okay. Yep. Yes, I keep a box of one o two quills. And I keep several brushes on hand. Oh, here's what? the one those, I was thinking those about. Things? Those old things? <laughs> those Windsor Newton Series 7 old yes. things? Yes. Yeah. Not as good as they used to be, but they're still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, here's the other company I was thinking of, Deleter. Mm-hmm. The Japanese or the Chinese company. Yeah, it's counterpart of Copic. Um, yeah. Actually, a, one big artist... Oh, I don't know if it's Colleen or not. She loves the Deleter black pens, the fine pens. Right. And uh, my biggest problem with Deleter, and if I'm not mistaken, we put off Blue Line, is getting them. The distributor right. who brings them to U.S. is a small distributor. He's always out of stuff. So lag time, I mean, could be up to four or five months. Of course, that looks bad on us. Yeah. But if I can't get it through a distributor, then I can't ship it. Right. So I think recently we pulled the leader off, um, looking for new sources, because I like a lot of the leader pens too. But if I can't get the merchandise, it's hard to get. So, but yeah, the leader's got some quality stuff. There's another marker company, and I don't have that sample here with me. I picked it up at Art Expo a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and they look like they were coming right along with Copic as far as style and look. 
I'm sure they're a competitor, Copic, who's trying to break in over here. Right. Um, if I find that sample, I'll bring it up in a future podcast. But um, getting back to quills, bro, Bill, how, how do you use a quill? Do you actually dip it in ink? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's it's very old school. I mean, it's, it's it goes back to, you know, feathers and stuff, but, you know, I don't have any sharpened feathers. So. But, I mean, when you're drawing a line and it runs out, what do you do then? You dip the pen again. What? Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy talk. What is up with that? Yeah. So um, that leads us into... Uh, I think brush markers. Have you guys dabbled with the different types of brush markers out there? Um, mm, I have like, at one time, but not really. Microns. I love brush markers. Do you? Yeah. I go back and forth on Bill and John. I, I sometimes I I pick them up and it's like, all right, this is going well. Sometimes I pick them up, I just tear the sh- crap out of stuff. Yeah. I just I just it's a whole different feel than holding a brush. The one bad thing is you have to be really careful. It, unless you're very steady with it, you can see your strokes. Yes. And it gets very annoying mm-hmm. to see this long line of where you stopped and started after a while. Right. So you have to be very careful to kind of cover your own tracks as you're going. I guess, Bill, I don't know how when you ink with a brush... If you twist a brush within your fingers, you know, and you're getting thin, thick lines as you pull it, I have trouble doing that with a pen. The pen is thicker, um, and you got, and it really depends on the pressure you're applying. The pen does between your thin and thicks, not so much as turning it. And I just, uh, I don't know. I just need to play with it more. I played with it a little bit on a uh, poster I just inked for Clay'sway. So it was okay. I just used it on pan because I could get away with the thicker lines. And I, I think that's one thing that really bothers me is I'm applying too much pressure with them. So oh yeah, it's um, not like a brush. You can't no. you you can't lean on it like you do with a brush. Right. You have to be very light touch with it. Yeah, it it's definitely takes a lot of practice. You know. Yeah, it becomes practice. a whole new skill set. You know, but if you can. If you can add that to, say, your arsenal, oh, yeah. inking, the more things that you can do or are able to do where you can go back and forth or switch up something and give it something a different look, then, um, I mean, you just grow with every new thing that you learn. So, But you have to be careful because, you know, sometimes you can go too far, you know, sort of get away from what you you know what you're comfortable with right. trying to, to look for something new or trying to follow a fad I guess is really where I'm you know when the image had all the you know the all the image inking I know people that that just studied that those lines they didn't know mm-hmm. so much about the lines but um, you know the, the little hatch marks and, and all those things right so they just reproduced the hatches they was didn't understand right. what the what the hatches were supposed to be representing as far as shadows, right. depths. They yeah. were just there for the look. And, right. and I, I mean, I, I know somebody, one of my inking buds, inked a whole book that way or part of a book that way. And I, the other half. And, um, yeah, he, he was just putting the lines in there because that's you know, what he thought it, it needed. And, and it, it just looked sort of out of place in places because it was very, um, very stylized and it wasn't, 
going with what he was trying to do, but right. But that's what that that's my warning on you know that's that's what I meant by that. So cool. Well, it always kills me too. The people who feel the need to put a thick outline around every every character in the mm-hmm. book, you know, regardless of where they are on the page, right, or what the visual uh, atmosphere of the panel is. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, everything has this deep, dark outline around it, like it was almost uh, one of those. Uh, oh, is that like where they took a sh- basically look like they took a sharpie and it's traced around what they inked? Pretty Just much, yeah. It, you yeah. know, it, it looks huh? like uh, color forms. That's the right. analogy I was looking for. It looks like you know those old color forms when uh, when we were kids that you would could peel off and put in a different situation it just they don't look part of the panel right they look separated from it um but um well i guess i should put it to you guys what do you think of digital inking um you know that's a big thing lately that's definitely uh, coming yeah that some people are going totally digital with their inking or that's the wave of the future right or whatever what do you think of uh, digital inking? I've done very little. Um, it's, it's definitely a wave. It's it's coming, um, but I still think it's got a long way to come to get that traditional feel of uh, being hand done. You know, I am old it school. It always enough. felt flat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels animated. Um, they are getting a lot of thicknesses and and things in there and playing with it um you know uh, pvp online scott kurtz he inks every he draws and inks everything digitally now and uh, shame on him but <laughs> well, have you seen his setup though oh yes i've seen his setup <laughs> yeah i like to have that cintiq so anybody oh, out there yeah. who was cintiq you want to send me one and i'll write a review for you i love you yeah but anyway um He's pull, he's able to pull off the thin thicks. It's all depending on the software. Photoshop's now gives you so many brushes, and they give you inking brushes now. Um, Manga Studio is another piece of software out there. We're sort of spinning off on software because software gives you the ability to be able to ink mm-hmm. and uh, pull off the thin thicks. So I know those two pieces of software. Are, actually, you downloaded some on on the comic related sketch blog, some Brian Bowling videos. Oh yeah, right yeah. Back. And yeah. I believe he was using Manga Studio. I think so. For his artwork, yeah. Yeah. And he is one artist who's gone totally digital who pulls it off. He still gets that traditional feel and look to his artwork. From sketching online to the inks, he still pulls it off. I think it's too hard to try to do that without having the years and years and years of experience doing it on paper and by hand. But, um,. It's definitely a future. Yeah, I was going to say his is pure talent, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's innate. Okay, when you do digital artwork, what do you lose? You lose the, the ability to have an original piece of artwork. Yeah, true. Um, I know with doing this online strip I'm working on, um, Jackie and I, Jackie's pencil, and I'm writing and inking and doing everything else. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to have was an original piece of artwork to sell. To sell the right. original piece of strip, because um, it's a financial thing, and it helps pay for Jackie to do the artwork and pays the time spent on the site. Right. Um, when you do it 
all computerized like Scott does over at PVP Online, he can sell prints of them, prints of the strips, you know, colored prints and everything, but he doesn't have that original. He's lost that original. And it may not mean anything to him. And actually, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean anything to him. Right. Um, I'm still a traditionalist. I enjoy owning original artwork. I've had custom artwork done for me. I collect it a little bit. So I like creating it myself. So, and, and, of course, owning a paper company, I will be honest, it's important for everybody to draw on paper. Um, really, it's, it's, it's a whole other market you open yourself up to people buying your originals. You know, so, and it, it adds another value to you. So, yeah, the digital is great that you're in. Um, I know it's a future. This is digital coloring came along. Does anybody remember? Digital, yeah, digital coloring. Anybody remember Dr. Martin Dyes? Mm-hmm. The, yep. How many kids nowadays probably don't have a clue what Dr. Martin Dyes are? Yeah, exactly. I, I have three or four sets over there, along with my airbrush acrylics, along with my, and those are all bottle paints for my airbrushes and stuff that I ha have. Got to put those in the museum. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. They still they still sell Dr. Martin's dyes though. Really? I wow. Set for somebody not too long ago. That's incredible. Yeah. It, it's all advancing. I still think penciling and inking is important to do by hand. Um, mm -hmm. I think the coloring going digital really broaden it from flat comics to uh, just the the realism that you can pull off. Right. Yeah. Conversely, uh, with uh, you know some digital inking looking flat. Digital coloring has really created like multiple depths of field on the page that you could have never gotten through a traditional manner. Oh, yeah. And another thing with the digital coloring is that it's a cost-effective way to color. Having right. to hand color everything and fixing mistakes was, was time. It was spent a lot of time. Mm. Digitally coloring and digitally fixing mistakes is a whole lot easier. So... But, um, man, we, we really get off subject here. We go art supplies and how to. It's all over the place. We're hitting a lot of uh, topics. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's it's like the magazine, you know. We do a little <laughs> bit of everything. Yes, we do. Well, actually, if you look on, uh, it's, this is an opportunity to plug something else, too, while we're at it. The Inkwell Awards is going on right now where you can vote for your uh, favorite inker. Uh, that was started by Bob Allman, one of our columnists. Uh, in the past, and uh, I was actually on the you know, honored to be one of the founding members. But on uh, inkwellawards.com, you can go and, and there's a, a link there, and you can uh, until September 15th, you can vote for your um, favorite inker. There, I think there's five categories, and there's a little explanation of each one. Uh, these are the top nominees in each category. So if your favorite inker isn't there. Uh, they didn't make enough votes to make that that cut. But on the front page of the uh, the site, uh, Bob has a definition of what is inking, and then the second paragraph is this is not to be confused with digital inking. Mm -hmm. um, I mean that is a debate with inkers, you know, and, and other people as well. But yeah, go to the Inkwell Awards and, and vote. Show some inker love, as Danny Mickey would say. Yeah, that's right. And don't call them tracers. It's rude. Oh, oh, right through the heart. <laughs> I know. Through the heart. Now, inking is skill, a, a skill. I've been honored to know a few, Danny, Mickey, and Sean Parsons. And yeah, there's some really, really great.
great inkers out there. Um, one inker I think of who just cleans everybody up. I've never met him. Bat, B-A-T-T, inked for uh, Image and I think Cop Cow and some Marvel DC stuff. Wonderful inker. Yep. So they can really add a lot to the book. Or they can tear it up. I've seen some makers tear it up. Yeah, so inking's cool. Um, we were working on supplies. Let me go ahead and plug paper, guys. Go ahead. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I discuss this like all the time on the phone with people at Blue Line. And uh, I know a lot of people can only afford a certain type of paper. But when you're buying your paper, think what you want to do with this paper and how long you want it to last and what you're going to do with this paper. If you're just penciling, that's all you're doing. You're not going to ink it, marker it, color it. You're going to pencil and then scan it. The Pro Series stuff is Blue Line Pro. The basic stuff, it's fine. Use it like that. It works well. If you're going to ink, marker, color, you need to step it up to the Premier Series. This is, there's a reason that we do the Premier Series. It's the same type of paper that we print for Image. Uh, we've printed for Top Cow. Um, we've printed for a lot of studios out there. This Premier paper. It is Strathmore paper. Um, we're the only ones that print on, I think, 300 series and 400 series Strathmores. Um, we offer many different borders now. But when you're using, look at the grade of paper that you're going to do. If you're going to use a lot of ink, a lot of blacks, you got to use a heavier two, three-ply paper. There again, if it's just fine lines, animated style, that, that two-ply is fine. So um, just be careful when you buy your paper. It's not always the paper's fault. And realize paper is like a sponge. A lot of people don't realize this. When you take a piece of paper out of the bag, there's a reason we bag it, and many other companies just pat, put it in pads. It sucks moisture like crazy. And uh, I once saw a, a little video of uh, Scott McDaniel, who's done uh, Batman work and Nightwing work mm -hmm. for years, taking a hairdryer to his paper before he penciled on it. It's to get the moisture out of the paper so that, so that the pencil lays on top. Um, it's just as important when you ink. If that paper is full of water, moisture, if you throw ink on there, it's going to spread. So try to keep your paper as dry as possible or drying it. Uh, it seems seems crazy, but it works. I do it. And if you got any questions, throw us an email at, at Blue Line. We'd be happy to answer them. We do all the time. Yeah, people don't realize that they're... That's kind of a function of good paper to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. some people think of, they think all paper is created equal. You know, the typing paper uh -huh. stuff you get in a case is vastly different from your, even your worst drawing paper, you know. Right. So. Well, there's different grades of paper when you get in right. paper. There's a print quality paper, and then there's an art, an archivable quality paper. And, you know, the pro falls sort of in between. It is, is considered a print paper, but it also is considered sort of an archival, especially the newer stuff. Um, so, you know, you just got to be careful on what you're using. And, and plan on what you're going to use it, what you're going to do with this piece. If you're going to ink it, use some decent paper. You want to keep it around for a long time. So... Have you guys ever tried to ink on vellum before? 
Oh, yeah. Oh. I see oh, examples yeah. on volume. But yeah, I've done it too. Well, yeah, I mean, that goes back to your supplies like with uh, your brushes or your pens or whatever because certain vellums will uh, will take the uh, ink, the uh, the oils off your hand and it will transfer transfer to the vellum and if you don't have a good uh, say brush or good ink or good uh, pen then all of a sudden your line just breaks because right. it won't hold the you know so think about what you're going to use um, and think about what you're doing too so well, that's a good thing paper will do that also bill um, mm -hmm. I know Gary Barker draws with a glove uh -huh. to keep the oil in his hands and keep from smudging the, yep. the, the lines. It's very important because water and oil don't mix. And even your, your body oil in the paper and stuff, and, and your ink is considered a water base. So they don't mix. They'll separate. And the oil will wear them every time. So just got to be careful with that. But yeah, there we go. We're all fart supplies. We're back over on how to's. Uh, um, we um, well, around. What do you guys think of? Uh, you know, you've occasionally seen people uh, wearing gloves with their fingers cut out of them when they ink, or huh? having a towel down, or not a towel, but you know, like a piece of paper or something over underneath their hand, mm -hmm. where it touches the page. Do you think that is a good idea, or sure. is that being too drastic? No, I think it's important. Um, it's, it takes some getting used to. Right. Um, but no, it's important to try to keep your, your skin oils and keep from smudging your work. So um, if you can get used to a glove, they're great. I've used them in the past. Um, or just a sheet of typing paper and slide it around underneath your hand. But no, it, it is important to keep keep your paper as clean as possible either for when you ink it or when you pass it on to somebody else. Well, I've, I've used the, the glove too, so um, and I know there are some people who work from, say, left to right, and even though they haven't put any hard lines down or ink or whatever on that right-handed side of the page, they will still cover that side so that the, um, the oils don't transfer. You know, they don't... Because there's no bleed over to it, so. Right. You know what? You can tell this is a bunch of inkers sitting around chatting. <laughs> we fell right into the markers, the pens, the brushes, yep. and now we're all this inking tips. So, yeah. A bunch of inkers sitting around chatting it up. Um, another supply is cool is mark colored markers. Even though we talked about digitally coloring and everything earlier, mm -hmm. um, Copics seem to be the marker right now. Um, they're very flexible, um, very durable. You can rebuild the markers very cheaply. Um, you can rebuild the, the tips. You can refill them. You can mix your own colors. So as far as cost-effective, they're a little. It's a little bit more costly to get into. Right. But the payoff is instead of throwing that marker away and buying another one, you rebuild it for you know like a little over a buck. So. Um, they're is nice. that why you think they're they're kind of over Prismacolor right now? Is I that think they've done durability. Yeah. I think they've done very good marketing, from what I've seen. Um, right. They benefit from the big manga craze from a few years ago, um, where manga was everything. 
So between the two, yeah, they've really jumped over the out what I call the alcohol-based markers, which is like right. Prisma colors. Um, and the durability. I mean, what you can pull off with those markers. You see some of these sketch card artists, and you've posted videos of them. And it's just amazing what they can pull off with these markers quickly. Uh, I know I've seen Renee just do sketch markers at cons, and it's like, and it's like, wow, that is awesome work. And it's done quickly. And I'm guessing permanent. I haven't seen this stuff sit around for 10 or 15 years yet. Yeah. I know some of the Prismacolor stuff would fade a little. Um, I don't know if that was because it's alcohol-based or not. So I mentioned right. seeing what these Copics are going to be, considering these people draw, sell all these sketch cards at shows. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned seeing in 10, 15 years, if the Copic colors are still as vibrant as they were when they were originally created. I wonder why some stores uh, still adhere so heavily to Prismacolor. Because um, you can't get... Copic is very specific. You have to go to certain stores to get Copic markers. We, I'd say Blue Line was one of the first ones to jump on the Copic bandwagon. Right. Um, I was introduced to them early. And because it really did ride the old manga craze in... Um, we jumped on them, we loved them, mm -hmm. and we started promoting them. What you have is a lot of store who is, who are still old school design based stores, right? And they're carrying the old school Prisma collars and uh, designer. I guess designers still out there, or design markers. That this is what they carry. But Copics are very very popular. Like I know there's uh, there's two local art stores here in town. Uh huh. Uh, one. They only carry Prismacolor. Really? Um, and then the other carries both. But they have a they have a heavy Copic uh, lean to them. Right. But, you know, the one store, which is very eclectic in everything else it carries, uh, as far as paint, pencils, anything like that, they really only carry Prismacolor markers. And I was, I was kind of surprised by that when I first saw that. Wow. Yeah, that sort of surprised me. I mean, it just must be their customer base. They must have a very much an office-type customer base. Yeah, I was thinking that because, you know, you go into an Office Depot or a Staples, and, I mean, both those places are lousy with Prismacolor. They've got entire, yeah. you know, sections that are Prismacolor section. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm kind of wondering what that dichotomy still is there. Uh, 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 if it's just a price point or... It could be what you're saying, that old school uh, well, design mentality. I think Prismacolors is still fighting for its corner of the market. Right. So um, they maybe offer some good deals to the stores and stuff to continue to That's showcase awesome. them. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed lately, at least in one of the office stores that I went to, they've started uh, putting out little uh, how-to tips uh -huh. on little takeaway sheets, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that they put up around their pin display, and I thought that was kind of a a neat promotional idea. Right. We've talked about having Jackie do a couple conceptual sketches and stuff using Copics, and then yeah. making like a little handout out of them, just give away to shows and put online. So. Right. That is true on YouTube, though. I mean, uh, when I was kind of doing that uh, Copic versus Prismacolor thing for a week. Um, there were tons of Copic mm -hmm. things. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't turn around without finding a Copic thing, but I actually had to search for uh, 
a significant number of Prismacolor. Right. Because there are so many uh, younger people, which is surprises me considering the cost of some Copic. Yeah, they're they're not cheap. Yeah. Not they're cheap not cheap at all. At all. No, they're rather expensive, but the ability of rebuild, I think it's worth right. the initial investment. I think the kids nowadays see that. Um that you can rebuild them affordably once you invest. You know, you buy one black marker and you rebuild it for around a buck. I mean, rebuild from tip to re to fill it to everything. Mm -hmm. Where another marker would cost you five or six bucks if you had to replace it. And we all use tons of black. Right. You know, whether it's filling in solid areas or whatever. So, um, one thing that sort of surprised me is it's talking about pencils. Mm -hmm. Who here draws with a number two still? Who snickered? I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that came up. Uh, it actually came up earlier today in one of my classes. One of my kids actually asked me if I minded if she used an artist pencil. I'm like, are you kidding? Really? <laughs> of course I don't mind. Wow. Um, I was amazed when we started doing shows and a younger artist was coming up that they wanted all these little click pens, just thin. You know, 0 0.5, 0 0.3, 0 0.8 click mm -hmm. pencils. And it finally hit us that these kids are drawing in school, drawing at home with this from, you know, what they picked up in their bookstore or, oh, yeah. or whatever they got out of their machine, you know, whatever they, and that's what they're used to drawing with. Right. And I, these are cheap little 50 cents dollar pencils. And we sell them like crazy at shows. Um, we have, a, you know, we have some people come in, look at the really nice barrel pencils, the drafting pencils. Hardly ever anybody buys the old drafting pencils that you have to sharpen. Um, I actually keep three or four of those myself. Sharpen the lead, sharpen, you know, I keep one for non-photo blue, and I keep one for my HB lead that I draw with. Mm -hmm. But you have to sharpen them. Yeah, um, I still have all mine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just surprised with what, what people use. Um, Mitch Bird uses, a, I think it's .03. Point oh three is the smallest, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's what Mitch draws with. And he builds his thickness of his lines up with it. What do you think of the point nine one? It's a thicker lead. Yeah, uh, it, it, they came out with recently. It breaks less, so I like yeah. it. My biggest problem is I put too much pressure on those type of pencils. Because I'll, I'll be around the office and I'll grab one and sketch with it. Snap, 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 snap. Just yeah. break it. I just I do that with writing with it, you know, not even drawing with it, just regular writing. I I run through the entire thing of lead by the time I'm done. So right. So there's all kinds of pencils out there. I mean, you get the cheap little pencils. It doesn't matter with what you draw with. Truthfully, it's what you're comfortable with. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what lead you're using. It's what you're comfortable with drawing. Of course, you don't want to use a hard lead if you do a lot of racing. You want to use a softer lead. Because the hard lead cuts into the paper harder. It, it doesn't matter what you draw with. As long as you draw. Just draw. Right. Maybe we'll make sure it's the same. Just draw. Just draw. Yes. Um, now, erasers is a good thing, though. There are some erasers you definitely should avoid mm -hmm. when you're drawing. What are you talking about? The pink pearls? Like the pink pearls. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly a fan of the gum erasers. Really? When you're, when you're drawing... Wow. The, the one you knead up and fold, mm -hmm. uh, if you're not careful, they can mess up your page worse than uh, than some of the others. You really have to keep an eye on where it's dirty. Well, I think uh, this is from my experience. Bill, you've gotten too quiet. Come on. 
Uh, you were talking about coloring. Oh. And all the pencils <laughs> and stuff. And I don't all right. use a pencil much. All right. You're an I don't care to pencil. I think needed erasers, John, are really mm -hmm. used to lighten lines up. Right. Uh, where you've done a lot of light sketches and you go in, you lighten those up, you pick out the lines that you want to use to finish that illustration. Um, you don't want to really, you know, it's clay based, so you really don't want to dig right. it into the paper because I I wouldn't want to be that inker who had to ink over top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, with that, I think over into the thick lines. Yeah, like over thick pencil lines. Yeah. It gets to be a little bit of a problem. Right. There's a couple good little click erasers out there, the pintails. I like those. Yeah. I kind of like the plastic erasers, the white. The Mars plastic erasers. Yeah, Stead yeah, those. Hmm? Yeah, those. Yeah, love those. I don't like. And them. love. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I like the little black magic ones too. Mhm. Mm yeah, I don't like like the magic rub. They just make no, no, a huge I hate them. mess. Yeah. There's some people who love them out there. We sell a lot of them. They've made a lot of cheap handheld electric erasers too. <laughs> it's it's whatever's convenient for you and what you yeah. like, you know. Um, there's several of those on the market. I have my old school electric racer, the big white heavy duty 50 pound thing that you charge. You guys right. remember those? Yeah. Um, you Gary, Gary loves those. You can't even hardly buy the refills for them anymore. Um, the one brand that went out of business, I ended up like buying up all the refills I could find. I didn't care what kind of refills they were. I just was buying them up. Um, there is another company who, who sort of done their own, but they're the same size. So at least I still have those. Yeah, I love that. That thing's a brute, but it will tear up the paper like crazy if you're not careful. I, I like this. Um, there's a yellow eraser we have. It's called a High Tech 900. It's yellow. It's really used for inking, clean up inks and stuff, so it cleans up the lines really well. And one thing I haven't used, and I noticed that we carry these, is the Faber-Castell has an eraser out, too. I wonder how well it works. But, I mean, Bill uses erasers. One of the things when erasing inked pages, sometimes you can just tear up the inks. Um, I just recently I did it. I use the white plastic erasers usually for that because I have that, the holder, which makes it easier to hold on to and stuff, and it doesn't break in my hands like some right. of them do. Uh, I, mean, I don't mind the gum erasers. I have one still over here in my art stuff, and I did use it inking some... some you know, last year, I guess, but yeah, you just, like you said, you have to be careful with it, and it's, it's a selection of tools that you have to, you, you don't have to be locked into one thing to blanket, erase everything, but if you right. have, you know, if you're going for a certain thing, or you need it for a certain uh, line, or whatever, or an effect, then, or just erase your whole page, then, uh, the, you know, you just have to be careful. I mean, really, you have to know your know your tools. Right. Well, I think you need to experiment with and what you're inking with and what you're erasing with. Because the other day I inked a piece, and I just grabbed a needed eraser. It was laying there and starts erasing it off, and I was pulling half my inks off. Oh, no. Yeah, so, I was oh, thinking of that. Oh, gosh. So I ended up having to go back in and retouch it back up. Um, I grabbed a, um, yeah, I think it was a plastic eraser and just went in real lightly. And only tried to hit the pencil lines that were still showing that I didn't use. And then, you know, I'll clean it up the rest of the way on the scans. But you just got to be really careful once you ink a page what you use to try to clean it up. Because what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes that ink sits on top of that pencil lead. Especially if it's non-photo blue pencil lead. 
So it's just sitting on top. It's not absorbed into the paper as much, and you can erase that right off. And that's where people, like if somebody had drawn a big solid area and they actually filled it with pencil lead instead of X in it, and then you go in and ink it, and then you erase it, and then you get blotches of light colors in your inks, that's because that ink set on top of that pencil didn't adhere into the paper, and you just pulled it right off with your eraser. So you have to be careful with a lot of that. So there's a, another art tip. Guys, we've talked about a lot of art tools, but we've also been talking for a very long time. I think this is a subject we can definitely come back to. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe next time we can just talk about one certain type of tool for part of the podcast. Probably get more information out there for them. But uh, well, we should uh, we should leave it open to the listeners then. Yes. Uh, we've kind of given you an overview of a bunch of different stuff. If you want us to go in deeper with any one of these topics that we've hit on, please go to the website. And uh, leave us your comments. You can also go to the forums on Comic Related and uh, leave us your comments there. Or you can email any of us. Right. um, And we'll hit you with those email addresses at the end. And uh, just let us know uh, if you want us to go a little deeper because – especially about inking and stuff, trust us. We could do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) No, we probably will. Yeah. So, guys, I think that's been a good one. All right, cool. So we need to do what I just mentioned. Uh, We need to go ahead and uh, pimp out our contact information and everything. So uh, you guys go first. All right. Go, Bill. You can get to me at uh, comicsmentor at gmail.com and email me your questions. That's also on my website, Comics Mentor. Okay. Um, well, this is Robert, and you can find me at bluelinepro.com. You can find me at sketchmagazine.net. And next couple of weeks, I will be launching claysway.com. You can reach me at bob at sketchmagazine.net, or you can email podcast at sketchmagazine.net. And uh, those will get to all three of us through that email. Yep. And... Um... Actually, I think you can still reach me through john at sketchmagazine.net. You can reach me at john at comicrelated.com. You can uh, always reach me on the comic-related forums as just my name, John Wilson. Uh, You can follow my Twitter feed at johnwcomicsguy on Twitter. Any one of those ways is great to get a hold of me. You know, just let us know what you think. That's pretty much it. Sounds good. Take care. Yeah. All right. So good night, everyone.